Welcome back to the Successful AF Podcast with your hosts, Ashley and Fiona. How you doing, Faye? I'm doing good. Um, we're so excited for today's episode. I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. We had on Brianna Dunbar Demike, and she's the host of the Badass Basic Bitch podcast. And she she'll kind of go in depth um, throughout the episode of what that podcast actually means to her, and you know what it's about. And and we absolutely love it. And we were so excited to talk to her today. Um, but essentially, the episode is all about just kind of choosing you over everything else and you know deciding that you're enough and and the power of vulnerability and living authentically so I think it was a really great conversation and we're, we're so excited for you guys to hear it so without further ado let's get into it all right so let's get into it so tell everyone a little bit about you your background. I know this, this is always the hardest part because it's like always such a long story. Um, <laughs> but kind of give us like the, the high level overview of your background and kind of how you got to where you are today. Yeah, sure. So I am from New York, born and raised. Um, I grew up in a very chaotic upbringing. Um, my mom ultimately raised us. She was a single mom of five. Um, and I, yeah, I spent a lot of time in New York. I was very into sports. Um, and I think sports kept me on the straight and narrow. There was a time there that I was really going towards not making the best decisions, having a lot of run-ins. Um, and yeah, sports just sort of warped me into the person I am now, gave me a lot of discipline and structure. I ended up playing division one lacrosse um, for college. I was on a full academic and um, in uh, athletic scholarship for all four years, um, graduated uh, in Connecticut, and I moved straight out to California on a whim. I wanted to go to law school, and a professor was like, "You're gonna hate it. Just go out to California and Silicon Valley, and you know, get on a startup train." And for some reason, I listened to him, got into startups, started my own startup. Um, and a couple years after that, sold it. And so now I'm in Austin, Texas, um, uh, working on my third startup. So I'm glad I took that advice. I am a mom of four. I have four little ones. I have a boy who is eight and three girls who are about to be seven, five, and four months. So that's a little bit about me. Oh my gosh, four months. You just had a baby. <laughs> I did. And she is amazing. like, thank you. And she, I, well, I have three other kids to keep you know, <laughs> moving. Um, but she's the best baby. So very, very lucky. That's awesome. Can you tell us a little bit more about the startups? Yeah, absolutely. So the first start startup that I um, created was called Zen Content. And it really developed because um, at the age of 27, I had an annual review and I went into my annual review and I had been working for a company at the time that's now called Upwork. They were Odesk at the time. And I, I went in into that year and I asked for a 30% raise, raise. And at the time I was thinking I was making like 90K, which was great, but I was managing close to $5 million in accounts and they just couldn't give me what I asked for. They gave me an $18,000 raise instead. And it really bothered me that they couldn't push for that extra 9K thinking of like what I was giving them. And at the same time, um, they brought in a man who they wanted me to train. And I found out he was going to be my manager. Well, long story short, 
I gave my notice and I quit. And I said, look, I can just freelance. I can do this on my own. I'll figure it out. Um, you know, I'm sure I can make a hundred thousand dollars, what have you. And so, yeah, I started the company shortly after and eventually became sort of a competitor. And in my first year I did over $3 million in revenue. And so it's crazy to think about what could have happened if they just paid me that 30% versus, you know, tried to negotiate with me and lowball me. Um, and, I am just so thankful that they did that and that I had the ability at that age. I had no real responsibilities, no kids at the time. And I was like, who cares? I can leave my, my job and struggle a little bit and figure it out. Um, and then, yeah, I did. And three years after I started it, I ended up selling it to another company. So, um, and then currently my current startup um, is called Bomb Content. It's in a very similar space, producing content uh, for sales and marketing. And I've been doing that for a little over two years. And um, we just got over the million in revenue mark. So very exciting stuff. Um, I'm very oh. fortunate that I that I listened to that one professor. <laughs> so. so was that the only, when you moved out to California, was that the only time you ever kind of worked in, in a corporate kind of environment? And then you no. So when I first moved out to California, I didn't know anybody and I didn't have a job. I ended up lying to my parents, telling them that I got into law school out there because they were going to think I was absolutely crazy going from New York to California, not knowing anybody. I found this family on Craigslist that was looking for a live in nanny. And I was like, sounds great. Um, so I just moved out there with my <laughs> Honda Civic met the family for the first time, started living with them. And that was such a bad decision. Um, they were a hoarder family. So they had like, oh. like imagine from floor to ceiling crap all over the house. And so uh, I eventually got out of that. And that's what I started working at a big corporation, Genentech. They, it's a biopharmaceutical company and they got purchased by Roche. I worked at Gap. Um, not the actual retail store, but uh, Gap, I did IT project management there. Um, and then that's when I started working at Odesk. And at, at the time I was probably employee number 50. So it was a pretty um, you know, small startup. And then I left and started my own after. Wow. What was your, what was your major in college? Oh my God. Political science and Spanish. Oh, okay. Like, so like you were really setting yourself up for law school. So how was yeah. that transition, like getting into the fields that you did go into with a degree like that? Or do you feel like it didn't really affect you? What I realized about college is it just doesn't matter unless you are like, I absolutely want to be a doctor or I absolutely want to be an engineer. or You know that you're set in that field, then awesome. It makes sense to do the courses that you do. For me, I had no idea what I wanted to be. I just chose political science and Spanish because I was like, hmm, sounds okay. I don't have to do math. I don't have to do real science. I'm terrible at those things. So this makes sense. And then I, you know, I come from a family, even though my mom is a single mom of five, each, each child has really um, progressed in their fields. And I think I just felt that competition and, um, you know, people pleasing to, get that approval and make people happy that I was like, Oh, I'll be the lawyer. You know, we have the doctor already. We have the biochemist, like I'll be the lawyer. Um, and so I was actually really happy to make that transition and not use my degree and not go into law school. And, 
what the field that I chose was, I was an admin. So I was like an admin secretary type person for um, a senior director at Genentech. And so you didn't really need a degree at that time, you know, project management. Um, eventually I went back and I got my master's in project management. And to me, that's where those two years outweighed any education that I had my whole entire life because I finally knew what I wanted to do. And I was like passionate about learning it. Wow. What do you feel like is the hardest part about balancing your career and being a mom? I know that you probably mm. this question a lot, but also yeah, what, I do. Was the timeline, <laughs> what was the timeline of, you know, like, like how old were you when you had your first kid and where were you at in your career at that point? And also just to add on to this, cause I'm sure it's going to come up in this conversation. What was the transition from California to Austin? And is that when you decided to start your family, like in Austin or were you moving mm. with kids too? Yeah. Okay. A lot of questions there. I'll break it down. The first one is how old was I when I started? So I started my company at 27 and, um, I was married at the time. Um, and I, I always wanted kids. Like there was just something about me that I, and most people never would have thought that about me. I was a really big tomboy. I didn't like other people's kids, but I knew that I wanted (laughs) to be a mom. There was like something very special about that. So I started trying for my first and um, I really struggled and it took me about two and a half years with infertility help all two, two years to get pregnant. And so like, I really, really wanted it. Um, and I ended up having AJ, my first, I think I had just turned 29 and he was born like the next week. So I was 29. Um, and then I had Reagan, my next one, like a year and a half later, Emma, my next one, two years later, and then Skylar, uh, the youngest is, um, was about four and a half years after that. So a little bit more of a space, but, um, yeah, I had just started my startup. I had it for about a year and, you know, that was really hard. And I was building a platform at the time, a web-based platform to, to manage this content at scale. And so just to paint a picture, it was like my developers were based in India and every time I would get up to breastfeed in the middle of the night, I would open up my laptop. I would check my, my messages at the time. It was Skype, like no one slacked then it was Skype. And I would test and give feedback to the platform almost every single night. And so, you know, between like 2am and 4am, I was technically working, trying to build this platform while being a mom while still managing the company. And at that time started hiring employees in the company. So um, that was really, really hard. And I, I think I've just blacked it all out. Like (laughs) I, like at the time, I think my personality, I don't know if you guys are like into the Enneagram at all. I'm super into it and I'm an Enneagram three. And there's something about three where it's like, when we have a goal in mind and we're in chaos or we're in conflict, like we are just so good at just like, like digging our way through, just keep going, keep going, keep going. Don't feel any feelings. Don't feel anything. Just keep going until you get to it. And I think that like perseverance and, and really my, my background really helped me with that. Um, so that kind of summarizes when I became a mom, how do I balance it all? I don't know. You know, it's, it's, 
it's hard. I do outsource things that I don't need to do, like cleaning my house, sometimes the laundry. Hey, I'm not going to lie. Sometimes I have someone come in and cook us meals. Like I, I do what I need to do because if I'm like, do I want to do the house for six hours and clean it? Or do I want to spend that time with my kids? Because that time is so important to me and willing to pay someone that money. Um, and I've always been like that because I, you know, you can't scale yourself. You only have 24 hours of yourself every single day. And so how do I scale the things that I need to get done by using resources that can help me? And so I think that's where I've really been good at. And I will always make the time for my kids. So regardless of if a client that that signs a $2 million contract with me, if my kids have something, and as you guys know, I was totally late to this podcast because my son had a speaking part and he had a whole veterans thing at school. And I just make that the priority. Like you guys are awesome. I really, you know, appreciate you. But at the end of the day, like my son will remember that moment way more than you guys are going to remember the fact that I was late for a little bit. And I think having that mindset and, and putting my family first has always been something that I've strived to do. And that allows the balance, um, in that retrospect. And then in terms of coming to Austin, I sold my company in 2016. I was married at the time and, um, my marriage was on the peak of its fall. So it was like, things are okay. And then as soon as I sold it, it just nosedived and my marriage just completely fell apart. Um, and we moved to Austin for two reasons. Um, one, it was a tax break. We got paid in installments for the company and, you know, California is like 13% taxes. So it's like, oh, uh, Texas makes sense. Um, but also it was like this last chance of like, can we fix this marriage? Um, obviously the answer was no, because I got divorced, uh, a couple of years after I moved to Austin. Um, and so that's how we ended up here. So it was supposed to be like this temporary thing. Um, but I've really fallen in love with the community, the culture, the schools. And so I think we're, we're here until our, our kids graduate high school. So that's how we ended up here. That's amazing. So, so in terms of, you know, balancing your career and then, um, your past marriage, and then are you, are you remarried now? Yes. I am remarried. Yep. So, so talk me through like the the difference between those two in terms of like how the parenting works and how you balance your career, if that makes sense, if I'm framing that right. Like in between terms the of two husbands. <laughs> yes. Yes, yes, okay. yes. In terms of like, you know, co-parenting, like, do you feel like in the past, like, you know, maybe your, your now marriage makes it easier for you to kind of focus on your career because he helps out a lot. Like, what does that look like? Yeah. Well, okay. So a couple things, um, I, for my first marriage, I met him when I was 23 and we got engaged when I was like 24. I think I had just turned 24. That is so young. And you know, I, at that time I had no boundaries. I was an extreme people pleaser. I plate piled everything. And I really, really cared what people thought of me like to a detriment and looking back at it. And I hate to say this because I got three 
amazing, beautiful children out of it. But looking back at it, he was just not the right person for me. It was a very not good relationship. Um, and co- like parenting with him, I think it was like, I so wanted children and not that he didn't want children, but there are responsibilities and sacrifices you make when you decide to have children and our, our, you know, level of what we thought to put in to the children and the marriage were not equal. Um, mine was all the way up here because I was like loyal and dedicated. And like, I wanted to be a great wife and a great mother. And, um, we just didn't match in that. And so I think that the marriage was just meant to fall apart. And, you know, when I was pregnant with my third was when I was like, yeah, we need to get divorced. Um, and I knew that we had to, but I just needed to get myself to a place where I knew I could leave and be a single mom of three of like a baby, a two-year-old and a three-year-old by myself and still have the career I wanted. And so I really worked hard to get to that. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's noticeably different. My now husband Hunter is like, I joke because I'm like, oh my God, my fourth baby is just, she's perfect. She's so easy. She's the best baby in the world. But like looking, really looking at it, I don't think it's the baby. I think it's the fact that I have this partner now who gets up in the middle of the night, like stark difference. First one, baby's crying. He gets up, grabs the baby, puts her on my chest and says, the baby's crying, right? That was the, the, the way that we parented. And, you know, this, this, uh, this marriage, it's like, no, I don't even know that the baby's up because he goes up, he feeds her, he puts her back down and then he goes to bed. And the, just the excitement and love that he has for her and the way that he wants to be a part of everything. It just makes it so much easier. And, and I love it. It also makes me a little sad because I'm like, Oh my God, I could have had this for all of my kids. <laughs> How nice would that have been? Um, but I'm really lucky and fortunate that I have it now. And in terms of, you know, co co-parenting for him as a step, as a stepdad, you know, essentially he treats my other three, just like those are his. And he loves them just like they're his. And I couldn't have asked for anything better in life, honestly. So it's a, it's a stark difference. That's awesome. That's what happens when you get, that's what happens when you find someone at 23 versus 33 (laughs) (laughs) or however, however old I was when I, when I found Hunter, I think I was like 34 or 35 or something, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Big difference. Yeah. It's so crazy. And I think that that's, um, such great advice too, for especially people in our age group. Um, cause we're both 24. And so like, you know, we're in this weird place where everyone is either like nowhere near marriage or everyone is like ready to be married, like engaged, like all of our friends are like engaged. And it's just, a, it's a big transition going on in our lives right now and our friends' lives. Um, so it's just like interesting. I love hearing like a different perspective, um, from someone who's been through it for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, would you be able to talk us through a little bit more, um, 
How did it, you know, deciding to get a divorce, because that's a huge, huge step to take, um, regardless of where you are, you know, in any marriage, but how did that affect your career? What were you doing at that time? And did you like nosedive into work or did you kind of take a step back to focus on the kids? Like, you know, just walk us through that a little bit and how that kind of affected your life in general, I guess, you know, making that huge decision. So at that time, I, um, after I sold my company, I worked for the company who purchased me and I had like a contract agreement that I had to work a certain amount of years. And then after I left, you had a, I had a one year non-compete. And when you're in my type of field, like it's really hard to find something else. Like it's very niche, like content creation at scale. That's hard. And so you can try to find other things that are related to it whether it's sales, obviously now I oversee revenue, like very, very different, but back then it was hard. And so I was actually um, not working at the time because I was under my one year non-compete. And so, and I sort of planned it that way because I knew that divorcing would be hard. It would be hard to split up all of our assets, like multiple houses. There was a lot of, um, you know, stocks and investments and there was a lot and I I didn't think that it would be as hard as I thought it would be but somebody somebody told me I forget who it was what was it was a friend and they said you find out who you are and who everyone else is two times in life death and divorce those are the times when people show their true colors when you also realize what's your moral compass what's important to you and God, it was, that person was like spot on because I really found myself in the middle of my divorce. I found what was most important to me and what I cherished and what I valued. And it had nothing to do with money. It had nothing to do with my career. It had everything to do with my family and my, my children. And I just wanted to do whatever was best for them. Unfortunately, my ex and I had a high conflict divorce. It took us 11 months to get divorced. It was actually quickly, pretty quick. Um, but in those 11 months, we were in the courthouse 10 times. Our divorce cost over a million dollars to get divorced. A million dollars just pissed away just to lawyers. And, and, it, and it really showed true colors of what was most important. Um, and the person who I thought I was going to spend the rest of my life with, um, and what was important to them. And so for me during that time, it was all about my mental health. Like I need to focus in on me and figuring out how did I allow for this to happen? Like, I'm not a victim in all of this. What happened to me fucking sucked. Yes, it absolutely sucked. But what did I contribute that allowed for it to happen um, because you contribute regardless. Now, yeah, sure. There's some, there's some things that happen where like you have absolutely no control on it, but when you allow for a relationship to get to a point where it is that toxic, like you are contributing. And so I spent that year like loving on my children, pushing through to get divorced and just getting divorced as fast as possible. So I could just start over and figuring out what did I do? What about me is allowing these types of people in my life? And how do I make sure it never happens again? Because I'm never going to be in this spot again. 
And so honestly, that's what I focused in on. And my career took uh, a pause for that whole year because I, I, I just didn't care. If I had gone into my career, then what would happen was I just would have ignored everything that I contributed and just like heads down, would just ignore it, put my blinders on. And then I probably would just like be back in the same situation right now in another toxic relationship. So that's really what I focused in on during that time. Oh, I love that. Yeah. What do you feel like up to this point has been like the hardest transition in your life? Would you say it was this or would you say it's something else? Mm, Yeah, I think, I, I do think that's probably a hard transition. It does not feel good to realize that you have, I'm not saying toxic traits, but you have behaviors that enable these things to happen to you or like that's really hard pill to swallow, especially when, like I said, Enneagram three, I really cared about what my community thought about me and going through that transition of growth was a struggle because I uncovered a lot of shit that I had to go through and accept that I've done in my past and, you know, played a, played a big part in. Um, and so that was hard, but like at the end of the day, I look at myself now and because I did all of that work and because I focused in on myself, I found somebody who like, we can build an amazing life together and have this like very unique intimacy and communication and just everything I've always thought a marriage could be. And I just didn't realize that it could be. And a lot of that contributes because I put in the work and transitioned my own self and realized like, I'm not perfect. I have a lot to work on. So yeah, I would probably say like, like my rebirth after getting divorced was the hardest transition. What do you think is the, the biggest thing that you learned um, throughout that growth period? And what do you think from that um, you're going to instill in your kids as a mom? Yeah. Like just this vulnerability. I would never allow myself to be, be vulnerable. People would say like, I can't read you. You're kind of like a robot. Like, I don't really know what you're feeling. You're just like, mm, you know, and I have really changed. And, um, part of my healing process was that I wanted to talk about all of the things that I have experienced in life from growing up with an addict to, you know, all of the things that happened to me in my childhood to college, to marriage, to all these things. I needed to talk about it. I needed to get it out and not normalize it, but accept it. And I started the podcast, my podcast, Badass Basic Bitch. And through this healing journey, I built this amazing community of women who, you know, 20,000 downloads every single episode, 20,000 people are listening to, you know, me go on my own healing journey and figuring all of this out. And I think that's like the biggest thing that my kids will take from it is that like, I am vulnerable and like, just the other day, maybe a couple months ago, I like totally started bawling 
in the middle of a leadership meeting and I couldn't stop. And I was just like, <laughs> I'm just going to keep crying. I don't know why I'm crying anymore. <laughs> and like, everybody is just looking at me. You know, these are like legit leaders in a company. <laughs> and I'm sitting there because at one point, like who even knows why I started crying? It was, I felt like, I felt like someone had said something to me that I didn't appreciate. And I had a boundary about it. And then I just felt so overwhelmed that I was like, like, and then she kept pushing back and I was like, no, I'm going to push back. And then I started crying and I was like, but you know what? There's something about it. Cause I was like, I did not care that I started crying. This is me. And I'm going to show up as me. And if that means I'm going to cry and there's going to be mascara all over my face, I don't (laughs) care. It's me. And I think like having my kids be able to see that is the greatest gift you can give them because then they understand that they can feel the feelings, that they can express themselves, that they can be vulnerable and that they can fight what for what's important for them and have boundaries as well. And I just think like, you know, that's the biggest thing I can give them in life. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I think like, are you familiar with Brene Brown? I feel like you- Absolutely. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so I feel like, like she- you know, when she came out with that, that was it a TED talk or I watched it on Netflix, but I don't know if it was yeah. like a TED talk. Um, and she talked about vulnerability and I'm, I'm listened to her, all her podcasts and everything. And I'm just obsessed with her. Um, and yeah, I think that that is so important and something that is missing in a lot of, a lot of society today. Um, especially, you know, with screens and social media and like, no one is vulnerable anymore. And And I think like, it's so amazing to meet people who are so vulnerable in their everyday lives and just so like authentically themselves, um, no matter what the situation is and no matter what emotions are going through. I have the opposite reaction to things. Like I cry when I'm happy, like all the time and people get like really freaked out. Like, um, like I I started a new job in September um, and no one knew me. And like my first week, like someone got promoted and I'm like an extreme empath. Um, so, so someone got promoted and I just like immediately felt all their feelings. And I was like, started <laughs> crying. So I was so happy for them. They got promoted and they what's going on. That it didn't even like, why is this um, lady but yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so, so I totally feel that. And I like literally can't even hold back my emotions because I just feel everything that other people are feeling. <laughs> yeah. And we live in a world today where like everything has a filter on it. Everything has a re-record. Oh, I didn't really like that story. Delete. Let me try again. Let me try again. Let me try again. Like, God, first of all, that's exhausting, right? Second of all, why does it matter? Like, why does it have to be perfect? You know, why do you have to stitch together your mo- your most perfect moments? Um, and I, I am a hundred percent sure there is a lot of women and people who look at me and and judge me in the sense because I just say what I say. I'm not rude. Right. But I just, I say what I say, I do what I do. And I think there are some people who just, that makes them feel uncomfortable because they can't imagine themselves doing it. And so I wouldn't be surprised if there's like, you know, gossip or I'm, I'm part of a conversation during tea time, whatever. Um, But I just have let that go. And I think also by doing that, I have shaped the best friendships that I could have ever asked for because the people who are here and the people who show up and we go out with are ones who 
love me for me. And we have very deep conversations versus the people that I used to be with, where it was all artificial. It was all one-upping. It was all just on this, like this fake facade essentially. And it's very fulfilling to be able to talk about really deep things with my friends and know that, that, that it's not going to leave that conversation. So it's kind of interesting to think about. Yeah, definitely. Um, all right. So, so what advice would you give to women who are struggling with people pleasing confidence issues, confidence in their own abilities? Um, just like essentially not believing that they're enough. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a couple things. One, you know, I think most people try to diagnose and help the behavior, but I, I challenge women to try to understand the why, why do they do it? What happened to them that makes them want to do this? Why do they care so much? And I think once you get at that root problem, and you go and you focus on that and you heal yourself from that, then the behaviors just tend to fix themselves. Um, and there's a great book out there by Oprah, Oprah Winfrey and Dr. Bruce Perry called What Happened to You. And it talks about just that. It's not about what's wrong with you. It's about what happened to you and understanding the you know, childhood traumas or your past traumas that, that have you do those behaviors. And I think to me, like the best advice is like, focus on that. And kind of going off of, um, this question as well, like what advice would you give to somebody like in their twenties, kind of maybe just graduated college, starting out you know, their life essentially, um, I know you've been through a roller coaster of things after you graduated college, and it's so interesting to hear it um, because, you know, Fiona and I stayed in New York. We haven't really done much traveling. We kind of jumped into work and we also graduated um, in the midst of COVID. So we had a little bit of a different experience. We couldn't really jump and travel anywhere. Or do yeah. anything like so I'd really love to hear like your best advice to anybody in their 20s. Yeah, I think a couple things. One, obviously, it's the like, you think you know yourself, but you don't. You don't know yourself. You think you do. Um, but there is a discovery that needs to happen. And you don't have to go and travel to go do that. Mental health, therapy, just immersing yourself in courses and figuring out like what drives you. Because I think a lot of the times we're so influenced by our upbringing, our parents and our homes. And then when you get to college, you're so influenced by your friends and your roommates and your, um, you know, other athletes that you play with, whatever. And as soon as you get out of college, it's like, you try to think like, who am I? Oh, well, I must be all these other things for the past 21 years, because that's what I have been. Um, and I think out of college is the first time where you can influence yourself and decide what you like. And so I say first, like, take the time to do that. Whatever that means for you, it can mean anything. It doesn't need to mean like, what is it? Eat, pray, love, whatever it's called. Um, eat, love, eat, pray, I forget what it is, but whatever. You know what I'm saying? Um, and I think the other thing too is if you're going to go straight into work, 
take on the role that allows for the most exposure to the most variety. And when I, after my, my small live-in nanny stint that I did, and I started to work at Genentech, um, I was an admin. And when I got the job, I cried because I was so upset and sad because fast or rewind to a couple of years prior, I I was talking to a family member when I was trying to pick my major. And I said, what do I want to be? I literally have no, nothing I want to be. I like playing sports, but I don't like anything else. I don't know what I like. And she looked at me and said, you're just going to be a secretary, you know, find a secretary job, find somebody to marry, have a couple kids. You'll be totally happy. And I just remember thinking like, is that really what you think of me? That I'm just not, not that there's anything wrong with being a secretary, but that you think I'm just going to find a man and he's going to have a great salary. And I'm going to like type on the computer and book appointments my whole entire life. Like, God, what am I doing wrong? And so when I actually got my first job and I was essentially a secretary, I was like, she was right. I'm <laughs> fucking secretary. And I was so upset. But God, that was the best job I ever could have asked for. Because first of all, the woman that I worked under, Carissa, she was like women empowerment. She was a a woman in a extremely male dominated field. And she um, challenged me to do things that I didn't think that I would do like anywhere from like, okay, go into the utility closet and figure out an organization for the utility closet to, okay, we have this giant um, new platform that we're rolling out. I want you to manage that. And she challenged me to just do everything and trusted me to do that. And there was a lot of failures, but there was also a lot of me figuring out what I actually liked to do. And without that job, oh my God, I don't know what I would have done or who who I, if I would have been who I am today. And I think that's the next advice is like, no job is below you or beneath you. And every every opportunity you're given, look to how to maximize an experience as much as you possibly can, because every experience, even if you're flipping burgers, is going to teach you something about yourself and go into it with that mindset. And so I think that's probably, you know, the biggest thing I could tell somebody that's in their early 20s. I love that. I love that so much because I definitely like you spoke to me when you said you think you know who you are. Cause I think at some point, like I definitely was like, yeah, I know who I am. And I was in a relationship for five and a half years. And when he broke up with me, he said the words, like, I don't know myself without you. And I was like, that's so stupid. Like, why would you say that? And, you know, after I was like, oh my God, he was totally right because I was so lost without that relationship. Like I genuinely thought like this was my person and that's it. And it didn't work out that way. And I was so 
lost and I, yeah. I did not know who I was. And I felt like I had to like relearn myself and like what I like to do. And I feel like, especially when you're in your early twenties, you are taking on everybody around you, especially the way I feel like in young relationships, you take on that person without realizing it. You know, I was with him since 17. So, you know, now 23, 24, where we're breaking up. Yeah. I had no idea who I was. I was with him throughout college and heavily influenced by him and you know all my friends around me but you know just you spoke you spoke to my heart (laughs) and like I love how you said too um like no job is beneath you and like you you feel like you you really set yourself up for success by just getting that job and that really led you to learn what you really liked because um we did an episode um over the summer we both read the defining decade have you ever read it before no, I haven't. Okay, so I love it. It's it's basically um, a therapist who meets with people in their 20s and each chapter is about um, a different topic that she kind of has like a patient come in and talk about something. Um, and it's very relatable for us, especially because cool. we're in the 20s, but I just absolutely loved it. And um, she talks about how like, if you don't know what you want to do, like just get a job. And then like the, like the, you can't just like linger and like think about it. Like nothing, it's not going to happen. You have to just like go out there and start learning what you're good at and your skills and your assets. And then it'll all come together and like loop through like your network and everything. Like, you know, I think especially us, like it was so hard to like figure out what we were going to do, um, especially graduating in the pandemic. Like we all we had this like grand plan and then like we're in the middle of a pandemic and we're like, okay it's been a year since we graduated college. Like, what are we doing? You know, like we're, we're still kind of like working our way in, in minimum wage jobs. We both grew up as dancers. So we, we taught dance and like, it was just like all these things. So we were lucky that we had those things, but in terms of our, our actual career and like what that looks like now we were like, what are we doing? Um, so, so yeah, I, I love that you said that. And I think that it's so true and, and there's so much pressure to, to know exactly what you want to do and who you are like as soon as you're done with college and like you didn't really yeah. use college years to even reflect on who you are. You're still so early on in figuring that out. So. Totally. Yeah. I think the other thing I would say too is I feel as though the generations like younger than me and even honestly mine, there is this instant gratification that's constantly needed. Like I need people to like my posts. I need people to comment. I need people to to look at my life and say, wow, that's great. She's got it together. And I think it's like social media that pushes that agenda. And I think with work, because I've managed a lot of people and I and I've noticed a pattern where you lose you lose the the sight between I want the new title. I want a promotion. I want more, more salary. I want, I want, I want, I feel like I deserve that. Or like, I'm looking at my LinkedIn and everybody's getting promoted. I need to get promoted. I need that. And that is the wrong way to look at it. And I, and I think that we can get caught up in that. Those things are important. Those things are important for you to um, ladder, like, like go up the ladder, career jump, whatever. Yes. But it's more important to immerse yourself in with the opportunities. And it's like, I would rather have someone come to me and say, I think I want to try X, Y, and Z. 
I don't know if I'll be good at it, but can I try it? Can I, can I shadow you? Can I watch how you do this? Right. Cause as soon as you start learning all those things, your career will come then after, but if you're artificially inflating yourself and then you get up to a point where all of a sudden you're a director and then you, and then people are like, uh, you are not doing the expectations of a director, then you just get stuck there. And it may not impact you now, but it's absolutely going to impact you in your late twenties, early thirties, because you've artificially inflated yourself without learning what you really need to be learning. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. Let's transition. So tell us about your podcast, just like a kind of an overview of, you know, what it is. I know you, you said the name already, but, um, tell us again, the name, what you talk about, kind of like what brought you to starting it. Um, every, everything you want to tell us about it. Yeah. So it's called badass basic bitch and it is all about, um, featuring women, seemingly ordinary women doing extraordinary things. Um, and I, I started it one, because it was like this healing journey for myself. Um, but I also started it because I was in it, like I was at an event, I was in a social setting. I forget what I was commenting on. A woman felt like I didn't have the right to comment, comment on it, just given the way that I looked and appeared. And she, you know, semi-jokingly said like, how could you possibly say that? You're just, you know, you're just a basic bitch. Um, And it was in like a very kind, lighthearted, jokingly manner. And I just remember thinking like, wow, I don't feel basic. Like you don't know anything about me. You know, you, you see me, I have the nice house. I have the Tesla. I have the children. I'm attractive. I have the nice hair. I've got the ring. You know, you see me, but you see me on this outwardly appearance And you don't, you're not getting to know who I am and what I come from and the struggles that I've been through. And, you know, I feel like I've done some pretty badass things. So sure, I'm a badass basic bitch, whatever. Um, And so that's where the name spawned from. And it's really just become this podium for women who've also felt that, who have um, gone through cancer three times, who've um, been with an addict or an abusive relationship or a former sex worker. Like they, they feature women who you would just see on the walk and be like, "Mm, basic bitch, but they've done these amazing things. And to me, I want to share those stories because women don't have a lot of those opportunities unless they are the Sheryl Sandbergs of the world. And, you know, they're, and even people still don't know who Sheryl Sandberg is. And I'm like, how do you not know? who the COO of face meta is, you know? Um, and that's sad. And I just think like allowing women to hear these stories and not feel so distant. Like I look at Cheryl Sandberg and I'm like, okay, I'm never going to be her, you know, I personally, and I have a high confidence that I'm never going to be her, <laughs> but like, I can be that woman that I just heard on the podcast, you know, because she's not very different than me and she did that. So why can't I do that? And, and I think that's just what it's all about. I love that. Yeah, I think that's amazing. Are um are you on like everywhere you can listen to podcasts? Yep. Okay. Everywhere, I think literally any place you can listen to podcasts, you can find us. <laughs> and then Instagram, badass basic bitch. I also have my own personal Instagram, mom boss in Austin. Um, and then LinkedIn. I'm very active on LinkedIn as well. So 
would love to connect with anybody on LinkedIn. I think uh, super important. LinkedIn is not just about resumes. It's about building your digital brand, your digital footprint. So you should be active on all social media platforms. Yeah, I completely agree. I I'm actually sick of LinkedIn because I'm a recruiter and that's my entire job all day to sit on LinkedIn. Um, but, but I, but I do, I do love it. I think it's a really powerful platform that a lot of people like really overlook for Mm -hmm. sure. Um, okay. Let's get into 20 questions. Yeah. Um, so 20 questions, we're going to do rapid fire. Some of them like feel like you might have to explain a little bit if you're depending on your answer. So like you can, you know, elaborate if you need to. Um, but yeah, try to keep the answers like pretty quick. I thought I was going to okay. sneeze. I'm so sorry. <laughs> okay. All right. Ready? Yeah. You go first. Okay. What is your favorite book? Ooh, favorite book. I mean, right now, honestly. Okay. So there, it goes two ways, like mental health, making yourself better boundaries is an awesome book. Um, but I really liked the book that I referenced earlier, um, of what happened to you by Oprah Winfrey. It's such a powerful book. Awesome. Uh, what's your favorite podcast? Oh boy. Um, you can I, say your own. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's cheating. Oh, the opportunists. Have you heard of that? It's an oh. awesome podcast. It's about, um, stories of essentially like American greed type stories where they feature scammers and like how they are an opportunist and like take advantage of other people. Um, and I think it's, it's just so fascinating. <laughs> yeah. Um, what is one piece of advice you wish you could give to your younger self? Mm. I would say give the same grace to yourself as you give other people. Yeah. I love that so much. Do you think money can buy happiness? Mm. Okay. This is kind of a loaded question. I I do. (laughs) I do think so. I do think so. And I know I'm probably going to get a lot of slack for that, but no, we agree. We're we're on the same page. There's only been like, you were three of our guests that, that said, said no. no. Most people say yeah. yes. <laughs> yeah, like I don't think money brings you happiness, but I think it allows you to set yourself up for more, you know, opportunities to not be stressed and to spend the time you need focusing on you to be happy. So, yeah. Okay. 100%. Um, do you consider yourself an introvert or an extrovert? Extrovert majorly (laughs) annoyingly so (laughs) uh what would you do if you were suddenly awarded a billion dollars okay my husband okay the powerball just happened (laughs) and my my husband was like we need to go buy a ticket and I was like that will never happen we will never win but I will humor this adventure and we'll go buy some tickets and we bought some tickets and we spent like the whole night being like, what would you do with a billion dollars? <laughs> and honestly, I couldn't think of anything. I was like, the only thing I would do is I would probably take all of my loved ones, all of my close friends and families, and we would go on an epic vacation and just like enjoy each other. And then obviously like pay all off the, all the debts of the people that I love Um, And then I think what I would really do with the rest of the money is create a foundation where 
we can invest in startups, nonprofits, and what have you, and like help those um, companies grow to be something bigger. So that was my answer to him. <laughs> I love that. Um, in your life, what was the biggest blessing in disguise? Mm, biggest blessing in disguise. Oh man. I, I, I honestly, I probably had a lot. Um, hmm. I feel like maybe my parents divorce because it really shaped my personality and, and gave me this like grit and perseverance and, um, adversary that most people don't experience. And even though it like completely sucked, like it's the reason why I'm successful. So and, and just FYI, my parents' divorce took like almost 10 years to happen. It was a very high conflict divorce. Um, history repeats itself, but yeah, I would have to say that. Wow. Okay. What is something you feel like you manifested, even if it was subconsciously? Oh, my now husband. I love that. I manifested that I manifested that. I really did. Cause I was like, you know, when you're going through and not to go into a tangent, but like when you're going through a divorce and at my position, I was like, oh my God, I don't even have a one-year-old, a three-year-old and four-year-old. What person is going to be cuckoo crazy enough to <laughs> want to date me? Not just that I have these three little children, but now I have this ex and he has to be in the picture for life. And I just kept thinking like, nope, it's going to be this person. This is what he's going to look like. This way going to be super attractive. It's going to be all these amazing things. And yeah, I totally manifested him because I got it all. So I'm taking, I'm taking credit for that. <laughs> um, if you were not in this industry, what industry would you be in? I always, I, an influencer. I feel like I would be some Instagram influencer stupid shit that. like that <laughs> um what are you most passionate about mm, I mean I love being a mom and that's like that's kind of a cop-out that's an easy answer but I think um I really do think women empowerment like I want everybody to be a badass I just want to like rise the ranks of women and get us to the places that we deserve to be. I just, I can't, you know, every day I, I aim towards that. Love that. What do you value most in a person? Doesn't have to be a significant other, just any person. Mm. I think the ability, like, the, like communication, the ability to have a conversation, whether it's a hard one or a fun one, or silly one, whatever, there's something really special about connecting and being intimate, like communicating with each other. So I think that's the one, for me, the, the one I value the most. Love that. Uh, what was your dream job when you were a kid? Mm, I feel like I did want to be famous. Like I wanted to be some kind of actress um, or like movie star or something. Uh, and then if not that, like, you know, like a soccer, professional soccer player. <laughs> did you play soccer or just I did? 
No, I played, I played every sport. Every, um, I was very athletic. I wanted to play everything. Yeah. And soccer was like my first real sport that I played. Okay. What are you most proud of? Mm, I think I'm most proud. I mean, I'm really proud of a lot of things that I've done in life, but I think how I've come back after my divorce, because what I was left with emotionally, mentally, monetarily, everything, I felt like I lost, I felt like I lost everything. And when I look at where I am now, I've rebuilt it and more. And that's really, it felt impossible at the time to do. And, you know, that was not even three years ago. And I'm just really proud of, of what I've accomplished in that time. What do you struggle with the most? Mm, I, I struggle, not that I have regrets, but there are times in life where I'll look back and like replay conversations or replay how I responded to something. And I was like, damn it. If I just said it this way, how would that have changed? And I struggle with that. You know, it's like the, or if I like, Oh, if I didn't cash out that stock at this time and waited three more months. Um, and that's, that's hard. It's hard to overcome, but I think that's probably my biggest struggle. Um, what is something many people misread about you? Mm. I think people think I'm like a jerk or like a bitch. Um, I said the same thing. Ashley and I played this like back, like (laughs) very early on. Um, and I said the same thing. A lot of people just like think I'm such a bitch when they first meet me. Yeah. I've gotten that feedback, feedback a lot. It's probably changed now, now that I have kids. And like, when you see someone with kids, you're like, there's no way that lady's a bitch. Like (laughs) look at her. Um, but, but I think it's like that I'm not empathetic, that I, um, don't care about feelings that I'm all about optimization and like process driving process through. And I think, yeah, a lot of people, who now love me and I'm very close with be like, yeah, I thought you were a biggest B when I met you that first time. <laughs> so where's the best place you've ever visited? Mm, Thailand. Oh, wow. Thailand. Oh, and I, I, I haven't been in almost 10 years. Um, but, oh, the food, the culture, the water, the islands, everything was just like a dream it's beautiful yeah it's on my bucket list for sure Mm -hmm. um what makes you stand out from others Mm. I don't know that's a hard question um I think my drive like if I set my mind to something nothing is going to get in my way. Literally nothing. Like I will plow it down. <laughs> that, yeah. That's such like a powerful quality to have. And that's really rare in a person. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this next question was originally, what is one of your goals from 2022? So if you want to tell us one of your goals that you accomplished for 2022, or if you already have your goal set for 2023, if you want to tell us one of those, either mm. or, or both, whatever you want. 
Yeah. Um, I think my goal for 2022 was um, I wanted to start hiring uh, full-time employees to my company because I was just using all freelancers. And there's something that happens. There's something very official that happens when you hire full-time people. And I accomplished that. And that was that was pretty awesome. Um, and then for 2023, um, I, man, I want to double my revenue for my company. Um, cause I'm launching a new platform that I'm building and want to get, you know, all sorts of people on it. And I would just love to see that thing start to grow like crazy. So 2023 is like focused in that. Awesome. Um, what is something, you know, that you want for yourself long-term that feels really out of reach right now? Mm. Oh man, I don't know. I feel like, I feel very comfortable with what I have. I feel like this question is is so much easier for us to answer because everything is out of reach in our life. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's not. Don't, don't say that. Like every, like we know what we want to accomplish, but it's like at least 10 years away. You know what I mean? Like, I think we both said financial freedom. Yeah. That's just, that's like something that's so out of reach for us, but yeah, I think for me, it is, um, I want to build more of a generational wealth. Um, I want to be able to pass down to my children who pass down to their children who pass down to their children. And, you know, doing that through like land purchasing, home purchasing. And that feels so out of reach because it's like nowadays, you know, it's like, is it really going to last that long? I don't know. Um, so I would say that very similar to financial freedom. <laughs> um, and last question, what is one word you want to be remembered by? one word like that would, that I want people to describe me by. Yeah. Yes. Like she was like at a eulogy. That's why oh. I love it. Oh, I mean, it goes two ways. Like I want my kids to describe me with one word differently than I want everyone else to describe me. Um, but I think like determined. Is that what your kids would be or no, what? <laughs> I want my kids to, I want my kids to describe me as loving. Like, just loving. I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, well, this was amazing. Thank you so much for coming on today. Um, I know you told us already, but just so it's at the end of the episode, just remind everyone where everyone can find you on social media um, for your podcast and then personal as well. Yeah. First, thank you so much for having me on. This was so fun. I really appreciate it. Um, where you can find me, Brianna Dunbar Demike on LinkedIn. Um, you can find me at badass basic bitch on Instagram, my podcast, literally everywhere. Um, DM me on, on LinkedIn, more than happy to have a conversation with whoever. So yeah, those are probably the biggest platforms. Awesome. Amazing. Thank you so much, Brianna. Thank you so much.